Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Active Iron on News Talk. And this is Adrian Kennedy in for Andrea this Friday afternoon. And every Friday, as part of our Ask Me Anything series, we put your questions to people from interesting backgrounds or working in uh, different jobs. And this week, we're putting your questions to former Olympian uh, David uh, Gillick, who uh, joins us uh, here in the studio. David, lovely to meet you. Thanks, Thanks very much, indeed for popping in today. No problem. So I'm going to put a couple of questions yeah, to you yeah. and then we'll, we'll throw it open to our uh, listeners. How did you become an athlete in the first place? What, what, what drove you? Yeah, look, I suppose I was always into sport. Growing up as a kid, uh, my parents were involved in sport. I'm the youngest of four, so two brothers and sister and me. Um, and sport was just always in the house. You know, I can remember watching my mum play a bit of basketball, my dad playing hurling, things like that. So sport was just always part of our, our kind of life. And then... Been the youngest, you were always just thrown in the car and kind of, you know, brothers, sisters doing this, you just followed suit. And then very fortunate to grow up in an area where we had an athletics club literally at the end of my road. That was um, over in Ballantyre, Dundrum South Dublin Athletic Club. And that was literally at the end of my road in the community school. And kind of just got involved that way and then through school. And look, I never thought I was going to go on and have a career in it, but it was something that I enjoyed. And that was the probably the first part of it was going down, people from my school, having a laugh, friends. Um, and then the elements of kind of competition came into it from an early age and you kind of got stuck in. So when you got to that level that you were competing on a national and mm. an international uh, level, you specialised in 400 metres. 400, yeah. Um, how much travelling did that involve? Yeah, like, look, it kind of takes over your whole life. It is your life. I think I got to a level where I was winning European medals and I was making championships. And to make a championship, including the Olympic Games, you have to hit internationally set standards. So you're always kind of looking for that time. So 400 metres, you have to hit a certain time. Um, and you're travelling everywhere. Like the way the kind of the year would unfold, it's 11 months of the year, um, six days a week. Uh, two training sessions most days and you would do that all through the winter and then there'd be two kind of seasons there's an indoor season which would start maybe February run into kind of March that's only a six week sort of uh, season but then the big season would be the summer and that would start kind of late kind of maybe May time um, and run all the way through the big championship of that given year be it the Europeans or Worlds or indeed an Olympics so you'd be travelling you know God you'd be travelling weekly um, twice weekly to uh, to anywhere in Europe because that was kind of the hotbed for uh, athletics so you'd be in kind of you know the day before you'd race and then you'd fly home um, and uh, you would do that all summer and then you'd have the championship and the championship depending on where it is you could be in a holding camp for three weeks prior to a championship then you're in the championship um, um, and that would be just your competitive season. The other part of the year, you know, for example, right now, because of the weather here, um, a lot of athletes might go down to like South Africa or go over to the States, try and get a bit of warm weather, try and kind of knuckle down before the Christmas. They might do that in the new year as well. So you're traveling quite a lot um, and it's part of it's part of the uh, of the lifestyle, really. Yeah. Let's have a listen to uh, this voice note that has just come in to us from uh, John. I, I, I always wondered about the day-to-day living in the, the, they call it a village, the Olympic village, but it's more like a city. The day-to-day living in that must have been fantastic. I always wondered about that. Now, you actually, uh, you 
competed in Beijing 08. 08, yeah. 14 years ago, 15 years ago now. Yeah. <laughs> what was that experience like? I look, it was fantastic. Yeah, you know, as a kid, you're growing up and you're watching like Sonia Sullivan and, and, and that level of athlete and win medals and you kind of dream that maybe one day you get there, the Olympic rings, the flame and all that sort of stuff. And I got the opportunity in Beijing um, and it, it was amazing. It, it was surreal, if I'm honest, because, you know, you go, you go to Beijing, you see the bird's nest, the, the Olympic Stadium, you see the flame, you see all the things that you dreamt of and then suddenly you're there. Um, and that, that's a question I get an awful lot of the time is what's the village like? Because you have to remember, like there's, there's people from all over the world. There's, um, um, you know, probably, I don't know, something like 10,000 athletes. There's you got the officials. There's all these sort of people suddenly descending on the one location. Um, and, the village is, the village is, yeah, it's like a mini city. You've got everything in there and security is very tight as well. So, you know, you're in there with all the other athletes and team members and um, not the general public. And you're kind of immersed in this sort of uh, Olympic environment. You know, the food court is essentially like a, a, a tent over Crow Park and it's open 24-7. You've got food from all over the world. Um, and uh, you've got to learn to do nothing because it's very easy when you're a bit bored to go in and just eat your way through uh, mm. the Olympic Games, you know. But it was an amazing experience. And I think the funny thing was, depending on when you're competing, because it is over almost two weeks, that... Every night that passed, the village got a little bit louder, a little bit louder because people are finished their Olympics and, you know, it's probably four years of hard work and they want to blow off some steam. So, uh, yeah, it can soon become a bit of a, a party element as well. Was it a disappointing experience for you overall? Um, because you didn't win. No, uh, I didn't, didn't win. win. No, um, you, you competed. Was that disappointing? Was that yeah, it hard was. to deal with? For me, it was. Yeah, like it, it wasn't the Olympic kind of dream that I had. I qualified nearly a year and a half in advance, uh, which is great and fantastic. And you could plan. But I probably built it up like massively in my head and in my heart and I wanted to perform and I wanted to do everything right and it didn't unfold the way I wanted to so I was bitterly disappointed so when I look at my Olympic experience there is always that element to it it's probably only now that it's as you said 14 years ago or so um, I can look back now with, with a bit of fondness and be proud say, of the I took part in the Olympics I took part in the Olympic Games you know not um, many people can say that no and that's the thing and like again within sport in the general terms there's very very few can get those moments where you do a lap of honour getting a podium but to represent my country at the highest level um, is what it was all about when I was a kid and thankfully I, I got there um, While you're an athlete says uh, this question uh, do you earn enough to live off? That's one of the big big questions I would get and again for a lot of people you might kind of think oh they're at the pinnacle of their sport they almost assume you're like a footballer or indeed maybe a rugby player and things like that. But unfortunately, the way it works is that there's no long-term contracts. And in order to make a living and pay the bills, you need to be performing at a very high level. Essentially, you need to be making those big championships and even getting into the finals. That's where you can make a little bit of money. Um, so you're looking at your sponsorships, you're looking at kind of prize, prize, prize money, and then also your government grant. But it's very cutthroat because it's all performance-based. So... There's always that element of pressure that I need to perform. Every season, every race, I need to perform, I need to perform. You don't have the luxury of uh, having a long-term contract. You don't have the luxury of even getting injured and kind of having that safety net behind you. So there is that massive element of pressure for an awful lot of athletes, even going into this year and, and next year's Olympic Games, that they have to perform and have to hit the number. So it throws another kind of um, thing in the mix that really needs to be kind of uh, dealt with as well. Mm. All right, let's have a no uh, listen to this WhatsApp voice note from Grace age were you when you got into sports and was there somebody who encouraged you to get into that sport? 
Now, you did say that sport was in your family. It was in my family, yeah, and I'm very lucky to have an athletics club kind of on my doorstep. But there was two people, I suppose, Liz and Eddie McDonough when I was a kid over in in Ballantyre. And then my school as well, was a teacher that was into athletics and kept that going in the school. And I think, you know, St. Benilda's College in Kilmacud, my secondary school, proud tradition of cross-country running. And it was probably those sort of people that kept me interested in it, particularly through the teenage years where there's other distractions and stuff like that. But probably my first coach, um, Jim Kidd, now really kind of enforced that belief that I could go somewhere in the sport and I could have a, a career and a future. And, you know, again, he was all voluntary. And that's the other side of it. All these people are voluntary. They don't we have the luxury of uh, being a full-time paid coach in this country just yet. So um, those people were probably the people that led me to my event, the 400, and gave me the the kind of step up and Lucy Moore, another person that came involved as well as I kind of matured. And, you know, those people were probably kind of, yeah, the backbone mm. of kind of giving me that uh, belief. What was your proudest achievement? My proudest achievement, like, I, like I've, I've won two European medals. So the dream of kind of doing a lap of honour, getting a podium and stuff like that, like that, that's fantastic. But I always wanted to be one of the best in the world. And I all, to do that, I needed to make a global final. And in 2009, I came sixth in the world champs in Berlin. And that was after the disappointing uh, kind of Olympic experience in Beijing. So that's probably my, my proudest moment is to kind of get, a, get an Irish vest into a global sprint final. Let me have a listen to uh, this voice note from Ellen. What goes through your mind at the starting line? Like, what are you thinking right before you're about to start? <laughs> great question. Yeah, it's a great question, yeah. Like, you're very nervous, um, but you would have kind of, I would have managed that by that point. So again, in athletics, the starter will say, set your blocks on your marks, get set, the gum will go. So those moments just before... Are you nervous, like shaking nervous? Is your stomach rumbling? Yeah, like when I was younger, like I couldn't eat. You know, Mm. I I couldn't sleep. Um, You know, you're just riddled with anxiety and nerves. And I think as you mature, you know, part of that being a sports person is to manage that, you know, because nerves are a good thing, but they can't kind of tip over the edge and and be detrimental to your performance. So what I used to do, simple little things, I used to imagine there was a little feather at the end of my nose and kind of take a couple of deep breaths, focus on the feather and just try and calm myself down. So again, that kind of breathing (laughs) and doing something visual, visualization, um, so the feather kind of takes, just takes your mind and focuses on something. And then you break down the race. So even though it's only 400 metres, I would break that down, first 20 metres, what am I doing? You know, the first 100 metres, 200, 250. So then it becomes just executing your plan. And that's all I'm thinking about. So the worst races are the races that I'm thinking about everything. The best races are where it just flows and it's instinctive um, and it almost feels just like natural. And and that's kind of, I suppose, the flow state they talk about. But again, setting that up, controlling the anxiety, controlling your nerves, your thoughts um, and your breathing, and then just set the race up couple more questions before I let you uh, go, David. Was it difficult adjusting to uh, life post-athletics? Yeah, it was. You know, again, every every week, every month, every year, every four-year Olympic cycle was all mapped out. You had a clear purpose, clear goal. And I think the big thing with me was I unfortunately retri- retired through injury. So it wasn't on my terms. So I didn't have an exit plan. I didn't I didn't kind of own that moment Um and unfortunately, that kind of had a, a bit of an impact in terms of kind of what I was going to do next. And it took a bit of time. And again, it's a huge part of me. My identity was very much linked to my athletics performance and stuff like that. So when that river of confidence uh, dried up, you're a little bit kind of lost for a while. Yeah. What do you do now? So I'm very lucky. I, I work with a couple of brands. I do a lot of health promotion. I work um, in the corporates. We uh, we do everything from, you know, well-being in terms of your mental attitude, um, your mindset to your physical well-being. And it's a great space to work in. And um, I coach a little bit as well which is is nice to give back to the sport that's been really good to me 
Let me squeeze in one final voice note uh, from Ronan. Now that you're no longer competing professionally, uh, what do you like to do to stay active? Do you still run a lot or are you into other pursuits? Yeah, great question again. Um, I, I hated athletics initially because uh, I wasn't in a great place, so I blame that. took me a lot of time, and look, I got, I got the professional help required. But now I'm back running, and I, I, I love it. I did uh, the Dublin really? Marathon uh, this year. Uh, I did my first marathon last year at Dublin. Time? Um, I got under the three hours, 2.58 wow. this year. Yeah, good, yeah, that was my goal. So I like the structure, I like the r- routine, and I like having a goal. And I like the challenge as well. I think that's something that's quite important to me. David Gillick, it's been a pleasure talking to you uh, on Ask Me Anything. Thanks very much, Lee, for popping in. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Weekdays at midday. Brought to you by Active Iron on News Talk.